Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I welcome on author Jess Butterworth, whose new book, Running on the Roof of the World, has just been released. Set in the Himalayan landscape of Tibet and India, we follow 12-year-old Tash on a perilous journey to rescue her parents. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's lovely. I know you drove in from Lafayette this morning. How was that for you? I did. It was the first time that I did the drive by myself. So I was really excited to, yeah, have done it. And it was good. It went smoothly. No, good. I'm glad. And I'm kind of interested. I know you grew up kind of traveling between, you know, the UK, India, and also Tibet. Uh, what brought you to Lafayette of all places? Well, I happened to meet my now husband when I was in India. And he is from Lafayette originally. Um, and he has lived in New Orleans as well. Um, so, yeah, we met and fell in love and got married three years later and then moved to Lafayette last year. Oh, fantastic. And you like it? I love it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. Well, to kind of get onto your writing career, um, tell me a little bit of how you started writing and what were some of the first things that you tried out as far as a writer? Well, when I was 10 years old, my school in England did an author visit with Philip Pullman and... I was so excited and it was held in a castle room and he talked to us about how he came up with ideas and how he always played with a piece of string when he wrote so that he didn't reach for books and get distracted. Um, so my 10-year-old self decided that I wanted to be a writer and live in a castle and play with string. Um, and it hasn't <laughs> quite happened like that. But I studied creative writing at university and then I went on to do a master's in writing for young people specifically. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, Philip Ullman is, is one of my favorites from childhood. Do you have a favorite in his dark materials or no? Um, he, yes, I love Lyra and I love the first book. That's yes, my favorite. The Golden Compass is great. Oh, I'm so glad to, to find a kindred spirit in that. That's great. Yay. Um, well, cool. And tell me a little bit about your your um, your graduate studies in writing. Uh, what kind of made you focus on novel writing versus uh, any other sort of like narrative or um, poetic kind of structures? So when I was doing creative writing um, for my undergraduate, mm -hmm. I tried all sorts of genres and I loved fiction writing and I realized that all my main characters were aged between eight and 18. Yeah. Um, and one of my teachers said to me, you know, I think you should be writing for uh, an audience of kind of middle grade and young adult. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. So um, that's why I specifically went on to study writing for that age group and that audience, my master's. No, I think that's interesting. And that's that's such like a hard kind of grade to write for. And, you know, in, in, in this book, you're dealing with some kind of very heavy political themes. Um, how do you kind of deal with that for like a middle school aged audience without, you know, you don't want to dumb it down, but also you want to not be over the head with kind of like despair, you know? Definitely. And I think um, one of the things that I've tried to weave in is a sense of hope. Um, and that's really how I wanted to approach it. That even though there are some, you know, political things going on and it's not all great, that there's always a sense of hope that things will be okay. Um, and also just make sure to include moments of lightness and laughter. And I wanted to include lots of, you know, universal aspects like friendship and 
you know, wanting to be reunited with your family and those kind of things. No, I get that. And it comes through. And I'd love if you could share that first chapter for our listeners. Oh, I would love to. Thank you. Chapter one, rules. My feet pound against the gravelly path as I dash through the barley fields, enclosed by the mountains. The wind bites, stinging my nose and cheeks. When I've been stuck in school all day, racing Sam home is my favourite thing to do. I stick my arms out and soar like the golden eagles. My fingers wrestle the barley stems. It disturbs the stink bugs and they fly out, buzzing into the air. My school bag thuds against my back. Tash, Sam shouts. Stop! I'm not falling for that again. I focus on the uneven ground, dodging the stones and leaping across the dips in the earth. Falling over now would be the ultimate defeat. Soldiers, hisses Sam. Please stop, Tash. I raise my head and my stomach drops. Thirty yards ahead are three soldiers. I recognise them immediately. Spaniel, Wildface and Dagger. I dig my heels into the earth, but my right foot slips and I crash to the ground. Sam's footsteps slow behind me. Are you all right? He whispers. I nod and hold my breath, willing the soldiers to keep walking. Rule number one, don't run in front of a soldier. Spaniel turns, his hand on his rifle. He spots me and taps dagger on the shoulder. They stride towards us, getting closer and closer, Three hard faces glower at me. I lower my eyes to the ground, fighting the urge to glance up. Rule number two, never look at a soldier. The pebbles crunch under their heavy boots. Get up, hisses Sam, shaking my shoulder. I can't get my body to move. The footsteps slow. The soldiers bend over me. What's going on here? asks Dagger softly. Sam's hand is gripping my arm. I stand on shaky legs before them. Going home, I say, I tripped. Rule number three, say as little as possible. They always try to catch you out. You know it's against the regulations to run. Spaniel's nose twitches. His rifle points straight at me. Everyone at school says he can sniff out anybody who has broken the rules. Maybe we should take you to the Wujing and you can tell them where you are running to, he says. People taken to the Wujing police never return. Sam's eyes dart about, and I know he's hunting for an escape route. We could dash into the fields, but with all the checkpoints, they'd soon find us. What about you? asked Spaniel, pressing his face close to Sam's. You think you can run and get away with it? Sam's breathing is heavy. Spaniel stays rooted to the spot for what feels like forever. I look upward. The wind dies down and the clouds pause in the sky, waiting for something to snap. Garbled voices blare from the satellite phone slung onto Dagger's belt. He raises it to his ear and turns to the others. The crowd's too big at the market. They need backup. We'll be watching you, Spaniel warns. Come on, let's go. The soldiers marked back down the path into town. I want to run and scream and kick at them, but I stay silent clenching my fists. Are you okay? I ask. Sam nods. You? Yeah, I say, hearing my voice quaver. We all have our ways of protesting against soldiers. Mum sings songs about what it was like when she was a child before they arrived. Dad scribbles cryptic leaflets for the resistance movement. As for me, there are two words that are banned in Tibet, 
Two words that can get you locked in prison without a second thought. I think these words often. Sometimes I even say them. I watch the soldiers tramping away and call the words after them. Dalai Lama! Thank you so much for sharing that. You. Uh, you do such a good job of really framing that scene and getting the reader thrown straight into the book with like such economical language in there. I, I really kind of admired that. Um, tell me about your kind of, I know based on your childhood living, living in places and being around the mountains that really inspired a lot of this work, but what were some of the things that you were reading that also helped the process of writing this book? Oh, reading. Um, so I definitely immersed myself in other middle grade fiction. I read, um, books by Catherine Rendell and Michael Morpurgo, um, just to kind of get a feel of the other books that were out there. Um, and then I also read lots of nonfiction books. I studied Tibetan Buddhism. Uh -huh. um, I looked at maps. Um, and this isn't really books, but I also spent a lot of time talking to Tibetans and interviewing them about their own experiences. Yeah. Um, in the Himalayas, and so that was really influential in the story. Oh, that, that, that's interesting. What was that, that process for you like, like, like reaching out to folks? Was it people that you knew, or are people that you reached out uh, particularly to, or no? Um, sometimes people that I knew, I usually started there, yeah. and then um, um, it would lead on to, you know, I met one person who had recently made the journey from Tibet into India over the mountains. Oh, wow. Um, and that person didn't speak much English, um, or Hindi, so there was a translator involved, which was a really amazing experience um, to get kind of that first-hand um, narrative about what, what that journey was like for them. Yeah, and that's interesting, and it's, it's one of the things you want to make a special point about in the book, you know, is kind of the structure is going through that journey, uh, which is incredibly harrowing, and I don't think people, people realize that, um, which is really interesting to see. Um, on, on another note, I'm interested in, I know you talked about um, Philip Pullman, but I was wondering what other authors have really inspired you in your writing career? Oh, that's a good question. My favorite book as a child was Matilda by Roald Dahl. Nice. Um, and that definitely had a big influence on me because I just loved the fact that she was able to go to a library and travel through the stories that she read into all of these other places, worlds, adventures. Um, and so I really wanted to uh, be able to do that with my own writing and kind of invoke a sense of wonder that I had when I read that book. Yeah. Um, and what else? The stories. I was the right age for uh, Harry Potter when that first came out. So I grew up reading Harry Potter, which I love. <laughs> Oh, there's an author called David Armand, who I really like. He wrote a book called Skellig about a boy who finds um, what turns out to be an angel in his garage. Oh. Um, but it was just really interestingly written and very beautiful. Um, so that had a big influence on me. And I love books like Holes yeah, by yeah. Louis Sacker and um, Hatchet. Um, so kind of those adventure stories set in other places than where I grew up. No, I, I love that. I, I love that a lot. Um, both in, in this book and just writing in general, what's the hardest thing for you? I think there's a point in the middle of the, the story that, you know, you've got the beginning and you can kind of, you know where it's going, but you've still got a long way to go to get there. Yeah. 
So it's always, yeah, when I'm reaching the middle of the book, I, I have to go back and do some more character development or some more plot development. I ask a lot of what if questions. So what if, I don't know, there's a storm or what if they get lost um, and play around with those. So that's the part I find high, the hardest to write. I guess that, that muddling bit to be like, oh, I, I get that. that. That's hard. That's really hard. And you're trying to get all the connective tissue going there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that. <laughs> well, um, what was I going to ask you? Uh, oh, just uh, I mentioned it a little bit, but uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up with your father in, in, in India and that, that space, because I think find that really fascinating. I think our listeners will, too. So my dad um, is a trek leader. And he takes people map trekking in the Himalayas. Um, and my grandfather was born in India. And then my grandma went over to India when she was 10 years old. Um, and then they met there. And that's how they ended up having their four children mm -hmm. in India. Um, and then my mom was traveling in India when she was in her 20s. And she ended up meeting my dad. Um, so when I was born, we would mainly live in England, but we'd spend a lot of time in India because my dad still worked there yeah. and my grandparents lived there. Um, but it was amazing. I just grew up loving the mountains, um, spending lots of time trekking. We lived uh, on a quite remote foothill of the Himalayas. Yeah. So there were bears around and um, leopards. And I used some memories from that time in the book. So one of them was one day I went walking with my dad and we were trekking for a few days and we came across a glacier that was not really steep but steep enough and we climbed into our sleeping bags and we slid down it <laughs> and then we had to walk up which wasn't so much fun <laughs> but the sliding down was great. I can imagine that. No, I think that that's wonderful. I use some, some moments like that in the story. Okay, wonderful. Um, I, I know you're in the middle of working on your next book, right? Or is that, that completed at this point? My second book has actually just been published in the UK. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Well, yeah. what, uh, what's the title of that and what's that concerning? It's called When the Mountains Roared, and it's, again, very much inspired by my childhood in the Himalayas. Um, it started when I found a photograph of my grandma with a baby kangaroo. <laughs> so I asked her what she was doing with this kangaroo, and it turned out that they had spent a few years in Australia. And on their way back to India from Australia by boat and overland, she found a dead kangaroo that had a baby Joey that was still alive oh. and this was in the 60s so there weren't that many people around and not kind of rescue centers and animal welfare centers yeah. and she didn't want to leave it because she knew it would die but she was about to go on this boat so she picked it up put it in her handbag and um, carried the kangaroo out of Australia and into India on a boat <laughs> which you wouldn't do nowadays and it's not advisable to do nowadays but um she did it then. And then another photograph I found was of my uncle with a leopard cub that he had rescued, rehabilitated, rewilded, and then set free in the jungle. Wow. So yeah, I had kangaroo and leopard cub, and I sort of, the story came about from, from there. Oh, great. Fantastic. And any, any ideas when that's going to get published in the U.S.? Um, not yet. I'll have to get back. To okay, that's one, okay. But, no worries. Yeah. We'll be waiting for that. Um, 
tell me a little bit. Um, obviously, you do what you can right now, but if you had the chance for an ideal writing space, uh, what would that be like? Oh, I love um, writing sheds. Yeah. Kind of in at the bottom of gardens. Um, that would be my ideal, to have a writing shed that I could decorate and put lots of things on the walls. And I use post-it notes a lot to... Um, especially when I'm plotting so I can move ideas around and yeah. see how they fit together. Yeah. So to have a big wall that I could just cover <laughs> in um, ideas would be fantastic. Um, yeah, no, that would be that, great. No, that's great. <laughs> I would like one of those as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. um, how do you, do you have any rituals before you, you write to like kind of get in, get in mind? I know I talked to George Saunders and he's like, I, I got to this way where you, I just like get focused and be like, you're going to write now. You have this moment in time to do it. Is there anything like that for you? Like a cup of coffee on the desk or something like that? I have to have tea. <laughs> ah, not bad. Yes. Yeah, I definitely have to have tea and I make sure that I do all social media kind of first mm -hmm. um, and emails and then I stop and I just focus on writing because if I have those other distract distractions, it's so hard to get back into it. Um, and I definitely work best in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I like to wake up early and just kind of get straight into it. I think that's great. Do you turn like the internet off? Just like, are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think about that a lot myself, just being like, yeah, just, just turn it off. You don't need it. It's fine. You can Google, like I know people make lists of things to Google after the fact so that they're not tempted. Just be like, oh, yeah. that's a good idea. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do write things like, um, uh, do more research like on my manuscript as I'm writing. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's similar, but yeah, that, that's a good idea to write down things to Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as like this book, when you were in the research process, what was the most fascinating thing that you found out that you just didn't know when you were kind of researching for the book? Um, my favorite research moments were, um, I attended the Dalai Lama teachings in India, wow. which is fantastic. Um, I had before, but several years ago and this time it was kind of like with a new perspective and yeah. with a new like kind of goal in mind um so that was really wonderful and then kind of finding stuff out I went in search of yaks because they are characters in the book and I thought that they would make a mooing sound like a cow um but they don't they make a really deep grunting noise <laughs> which I found really fascinating because I didn't expect that um and I got to see what they felt like Aww. and kind of smelt like. So, um, yeah, that was a really fascinating piece of research for me. Interesting. Very visceral. Like, you're like, what do yaks smell like? Oh, kind of earthy um, and a little bit like clay, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did not expect that, <laughs> which you didn't either, which is, which is good. Um, well, we're kind of drawing to the end of the interview. I, I'd love to... Um, hear about few, a few folks that you're reading right now um, at, at the moment. Is, is there anything that's really kind of piqued your interest? I am about to start a book called The Explorer ah. by Catherine Rundell. Okay. Um, she's one of my favorite British authors. Um, and there's another book that I'm about to start called The Polar Bear Explorers Club, <laughs> um, which is, again, a, a British author called Alex Bell. Um yeah, so those those are on my my to be read list at the the minute. That's a good one, I think. Yeah, well, awesome. 
Well, well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. That was author Jess Butterworth, whose new novel, Running on the Roof of the World, is out now. Next week, we'll be welcoming on Nathaniel Rich, who is an author and journalist based in New Orleans, who has just released a book entitled King Zeno. And that's our show. You've been listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. After that, all of the shows are uploaded onto WRBH's SoundCloud page, which you can find at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.